Tonight we're going to uh, continue our series in talking about the armor of God, the full armor of God, and putting on the full armor of God. And so if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, where in Scripture is the armor of God? Ephesians chapter 6. I'm, I heard it from a lot of people, Ephesians 6. It's, it's getting in there. That's good. Um, so Ephesians chapter 6 um, tonight. Actually, in terms of Scripture, we will probably spend most of our time in the book of Romans. Um, but uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we talk about the armor of God. And this is what verse 17 says. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we've gone through the last couple of weeks and we've looked at uh, the fact that we are at war and uh, there's spiritual warfare and we've talked about standing firm and we've talked about... Um, uh, the breastplate and the shield and uh, some other good things. And so tonight we are going to talk about the helmet of salvation. Anybody ever worn a helmet of some sort? Yeah, a few of you, most of you. Um, you know, um, it might not be part of your daily wardrobe. They don't really look all that trendy and stylish. Um, and so, you know, you don't wear it all around all the time. Uh, but wearing a helmet actually can provide a huge amount of protection to a very important part of your body, which is your head right? Why do you want to protect your head? Yes, Hunter. So you don't break your head, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's good, because what's in your head? Brain. Your brain. Your brain, <laughs> right? And so that's where you think, and that's where you process information. And, and you know, we could look at... Uh, uh, in, in a spiritual sense, we could look at the difference, I guess, between uh, your heart and your mind, because uh, there can be a difference, but yet they're so closely connected together that if we bring this into the spiritual sense, you know, in the physical, we got our brain uh, inside of our head, and we need to protect that. But in the spiritual sense, um, we're talking about helmet, we're talking about uh, uh, protecting our mind, our heart, um, all kind of tied together, uh, I think, in that. But anyway, wearing a helmet's good for you, and that's why you uh, uh, hopefully wear a helmet if you're riding a bicycle or a motorcycle. Uh, it's why professional athletes wear helmets in all kinds of different sports, football, baseball, hockey, whatever. They wear helmets. Uh, construction workers wear hard hats, right, because you got to have something to, to protect um, against your head and uh, against damage to your head. So I wanted to share just a few quick stories with you um, that sort of illustrate the importance of wearing a helmet in the physical world. And it may help us to um, illustrate the importance of wearing a helmet in our spiritual lives, the helmet of salvation, right? Not that we have an actual helmet, <laughs> you know. I put on my Jesus helmet today, but in, in a sense, um, you know, wearing a helmet in our spiritual lives. There was uh, this rock climber. I didn't know they wore helmets in rock climbing, but it makes sense. It was this rock climber that was climbing um, up this rock, and uh, she, she climbed all the way up, no problem, uh, decided she was going to repel back down um, the descent, uh, started her, her repelling process, went down 20 feet, and uh, there was some issues. She didn't follow all of the safety things that she needed to follow, and she fully admitted that in the article that I was reading, but she did have a helmet on. And so she started her process down, 20 feet down, hit a ledge, stumbled 40 feet down, and hit the ground. Um, 
two broken femurs, two shattered kneecaps, broken hip, several broken ribs, uh, fractured ankle, arm, collarbone, and shoulder blade, compression fractures on her spine, partially deflated lung, lacerations to her liver, and spleen. She sent six weeks, spent six weeks in the ICU, three major surgeries to repair her injuries. Um, she was unconscious for a week because of all of this damage that was done, but she was wearing a helmet. And you know what that did for her? that even after all of this stuff, on all of the scans that they did of her brain and all of her cognitive tests and everything, she was functioning uh, above average (laughs) still uh, because her brain was protected. And even in that list of all those injuries, there was no injuries to her head because she was wearing a helmet. Um, There's all kinds of stories of people riding motorcycles and bicycles and things like that where they go over the handlebars and sometimes one of the first things that hits the pavement is the helmet the head, the face, something. And so hopefully they have a helmet on to help protect that injury. Maybe a little more on point with what we're talking about in terms of spiritual warfare, soldiers also wear helmets. Soldiers wear helmets in the battlefield, amen, right? They need something to protect um, their, their head. And uh, I was reading this article, this was a few years ago, but not, not that many years ago. Um, Army soldiers in Afghanistan, and they were assigned to go through and clear a route for uh, it must have been for some additional soldiers and vehicles. And there was just a small group of men. And as they were, were going through this field, making their way through a field, they got about halfway there, and all of a sudden they come under enemy fire. And the two sides are exchanging uh, you know, gunshots with each other. And one of the soldiers, um, you know, there's, there's a round that was fired, and it just slams into his helmet on the side of his head. And he says, he said this about it. He says uh, that he was dazed and there was an incredible ringing, but the round never actually penetrated the helmet and into his head. And so he is alive today because of that helmet, because, you know, you don't just survive around from an AK 47 without some sort of protection. Uh, And so the helmet saved his life. And so there's all kinds of situations and things like that where, um, you know, in the physical world, the helmet can can save your life. But, uh, um, you know, we're talking about in the spiritual sense, the helmet of salvation and the fact that it's a part of the armor of God. And this is what, what it does for us. It protects us against the attacks of the enemy, right? That's what a lot of this armor does for us. It protects us against the attacks of the enemy. Um, Can we get a little more specific with that? What types of attacks do you think the helmet is intended to uh, protect us from? Yeah, all of these things that function and take place in sort of our thought life, right? Uh, Because even a lot of the dealing with coworkers, a lot of it is, is, you know, even if it's just like a terrible coworker and you just don't get along, your response to that person um, often first gets filtered through hopefully your, <laughs> your brain and, and, you know, your heart and things. And so, yeah, memories, fears, um, all these other things going on. And so that's what the helmet protects. It protects our minds from the attacks of the enemy. And I think this is really important. Um, not that all the rest of the armor isn't important, but I see a lot of need for this. Um, 
in the church, especially with some of the some people that I've had conversations with that deal with things. And we'll, you know, we'll kind of break this down as we go through how specifically it applies to our life. But I think the helmet is is a super important thing. And obviously we can't forget it, right? It's like every other piece of the armor. Um, you, you know, if you're missing a piece, then it still leaves you vulnerable, regardless of how many other pieces you have on. And a smart enemy will find where you are vulnerable and will attack. <laughs> so it's important for us to, to have this understanding of what the helmet of salvation is. And so, uh, you know, things that are going on in, in our world and things, you know, we have discussions about uh, relative truth or absolute truth. Um, there's many people dealing with, even in the church, people dealing with feelings that God doesn't love them or feeling like they, they uh, would never be good enough you know, to really have salvation, and they wrestle with the assurance of salvation. Um, and there's other you know, people, even again, Christians, people in the church that are fighting sins in their life, um, habitual sort of continual sins. And so in a sense, you know, we need to put on this, this helmet of salvation because it protects us from all of these things. Uh, and it needs to be put on every day so that we can stand firm and be protected against all of the attacks from the enemy. So I have three points for you tonight, if you're taking notes, three points um, to sort of describe this as we go. And the first one is this, that putting on the helmet of salvation means that we have the power of Christ to help us overcome the power of sin. Putting on the helmet of salvation means we have the power of Christ to help us overcome the power of sin. You know, when it comes to sin, everyone's guilty, right? We've all sinned. We all deserve God's judgment. Uh, however, because of salvation, because of God's great love for us, um, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have forgiveness of our sins, and we're spared from the punishment for sin, right? We know this. Scripture, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5, verses 1 through 2, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And so we've been saved through faith in Jesus and what he did. Um, we've been saved, but... The sin issue still comes back in, doesn't it? The sin issue still comes back into play as I've experienced and you've experienced. Um, I mean, since you've accepted Jesus, have you been perfect since that day? No. No, some of us laugh because it's comical how imperfect we've been since that day. Um, you know, of course we haven't been, but God's grace covers us in our failure so that when we do sin, um, you know, we're, we're covered by his grace and his love. But we're not supposed to just live in sin so that we can just, you know, keep doing whatever we want and just claim God's grace, right? Isn't that what Paul says? Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We're those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And a few verses later, uh, this is... Uh, chapter 6, verse number 12. He says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under 
grace. And so here we have some instructions from Scripture uh, that really lay it out for us that once we accept Christ, we are to be, I like how the, the NIV says it, instruments of righteousness. That should be our life. That should be the way that, that we live. And so in other words, we're not supposed to live in sin anymore, right? Will we still sin? Yeah, we will. All of us will. Um, but the question for me when I think about this is, do, we, do, do I make a practice of sin in my life? Do we make a practice of having sin in our life? Um, do we even recognize the sins that we're dealing with? The sins that are going on in our life? Uh, is, is the sin that's in our life, is it that, that habit, that continual repetitive sin that we've been dealing with for many, many, many years? Is sin still a characteristic of our life even after we have accepted Christ? And of course, we're talking about spiritual warfare, and it brings even another question, how can we stand firm as we are instructed to do if we have sin that's in our life, because it's like the enemy is fighting us from the inside. The enemy is fighting us from our mind and, and from the way that we're living. Uh, and, you know, the devil will try to, in, in warfare, he'll try to put everything he can in your path to tempt you to fall away and to turn away. And so we need this helmet of salvation because uh, like I said, putting on the helmet of salvation means that we have the power of Christ to help us overcome the power of sin. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse number 11 says this, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. And uh, you know this, this idea that, that the power of Christ in us, the resurrection of Jesus is so important. It provides victory over our sin. And so Jesus' death on the cross was him being the sacrifice, but the resurrection was him being victorious over sin. And the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead 2,000-some years ago, lives inside of us, even today. And he makes us new creations with a new purpose, and he gives us life. And so I think one of the purposes of the helmet is that it helps us in this sanctification process, which is basically the process of, of becoming that new creature in Christ, getting the sin out of your life and being that instrument of righteousness. Understanding salvation, um, Jesus' death and resurrection, and living it out every day of our life helps us to stay away from sin, right? And the power of the Spirit at work within us will help us to keep from, from sin. And after a while, even those things that were the, the constant habitual things will diminish by the power of the Spirit. Um, let me move on to point number two because I think it kind of ties in with what Greg was just saying, talking about the helmet is salvation. Um, and it's not super long, so then we can take another pause and discuss. Point number two is this. Putting on the helmet of salvation means that we should be growing in our assurance of salvation, right? Um, I've had quite a few discussions with people over the years, especially those that are relatively new to Jesus, that start with this question. How do I know that I'm really saved? 
How do I know that I'm really saved? I have wondered that at points in my life, so I understand this question. You have maybe asked yourself that question or asked somebody else that question. How do I really know that I'm saved? And so I think the question is usually asked uh, not in any sort of like disbelief against God, uh, not in any sort of argumentative way. It's usually asked out of a sincerity that just wants the assurance to know that what you're reading in the Bible is real and what you experienced, you know, maybe even if it was uh, just last week when you prayed, you know, and accepted Jesus into your heart or, or whatever it was. Um, you know, they, it's just wanting that assurance to know that, that you are really saved. And so I have some, some scripture verses um, in, in thinking about this and, and a few thoughts um, on this. Um, you know, I think in the context of spiritual warfare and standing firm, I, I think it's really important that we understand this because if we're not assured of our salvation, we can't stand firm. Right? It isn't that what it says three or four times in Ephesians 6, right in the couple verses where it talks about the armor of God. Stand firm. Stand. Take your stand. You can't stand firm if you're not sure of what you're standing on. Right? And so uh, if, you know, if we're like that, and, and man, I feel for it, because I feel like this, is, this really is an attack sometimes of the enemy to, to make people... Uh, tried to get people to believe that their experience with God was just some crazy emotional experience and that God's not really real and that they're not really saved and uh, on and on it goes. And then those people get pummeled in battle <laughs> because they're, they're not on, on sure footing. And so like I said, I've wrestled with this. Maybe you've wrestled with this question before. Um, how do I know that I'm really saved? If we keep reading in Romans chapter 8, it's just a few verses from where we left off a few minutes ago. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse number 14 says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so Scripture says that the Spirit of God that lives inside of us testifies, or your version might say bears witness with our spirit, that we are saved. And so in other words, God confirms it to us in our hearts, in our minds. God speaks it to us. He talks to us. He leads us and guides us through our lives, and his communications with us are a confirmation and assurance of our salvation. Uh, but we could even tie it back into point number one as well. And you know, we've entertained, I, th I think, this idea even on a Wednesday night, uh, not that long ago, and, and we've maybe had it in conversations, um, when we see our lives beginning to change and we're overcoming sin, then I think you can be assured of you know, your salvation. It's an assurance thing. Like, man, God's working in my heart. God's talking to me, and he's working in me, and, and I'm changing, and you know, God's really doing something awesome in my heart uh, and in my life. Because again, we're not supposed to be staying living in sin, right? We have to be making progress um, and, and sanctification and, and turning to those instruments of righteousness. And so if somebody accepts the Lord and they you know, come later with this question, how do I know that I'm really saved? Let's look at those things. Is God speaking into your heart? Is God talking to you? Is he communicating with you? And are you, are you experiencing his, his love and his changing nature in your life? Are you, are you able to, to turn away from the sins and turn to the things of the Lord. But if somebody accepts the Lord and then later they ask this question, they say, how do I know I'm really saved? But they're not hearing God speak to them 
and, and God's not really telling them anything, and their behavior hasn't changed, <laughs> only God can tell you that moment that somebody is, I guess, I don't know how to phrase it, not saved. I mean, I believe that if somebody prays and asks for salvation, at that moment they're saved. But I also believe that at some point you can turn away. And, you know, aside from somebody just coming out and flat out saying, I reject it and I turn away, only God can tell where exactly that line is. But we hear the term we use is backsliding, right? I was backsliding, you know, I I believed in God, I was living for God at one point, but then all of the sin continued in my life or it took over in my life. Um, So anyway, assurance of of salvation, I think that's, that's key. It's so important that we understand, you know, that we are saved, especially in the midst of all the voices from the enemy and all the voices from culture saying, oh, religion's just whatever. There's all these different kinds of religions and it doesn't matter what you believe. You don't have to be doing all that stuff. All that crazy stuff that you're doing, you crazy Christians, you crazy Pentecostals. (laughs) Assurance of salvation, knowing that God is speaking to us uh, and that he's changing our lives. And I, I believe that comes through, you know, it's, it's all tied in, that salvation experience, the helmet of salvation. Point number three. This is the last one. It's not, uh, not super long. Point number three. Putting on the helmet of salvation changes the way that we think about life and the way that we live our life. And so we've got, putting on the, the, the helmet means that uh, we've got the power of Christ in us helping us against the power of sin, that we have assurance of salvation, and that we have uh, this helmet that changes the way we think about life and the way we live our life. Um, A lot of times the way that we think determines how we live and act. Uh, So this has huge implications for our spiritual life. There's this quote that uh, I couldn't properly attribute to to somebody. I'm not sure that the person would they said it was from was really correct. Um, so, say it's from an unknown source, but here's the quote. The ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. The ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. So, in other words, the ideas and the things that you have in the head, in your mind, are going to affect the way that you live, right? I think that's a pretty true uh, principle. I think it's a scriptural one. Uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 7, he, uh, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart. And again, you could, we can talk about this idea of heart and mind and what the differences are, but I think for our purposes tonight, I think they're so closely connected that it's really hard to separate them anyways, especially when we're talking like we are tonight. Out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, uh, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so even Jesus speaks to the idea that the things that are in our minds or our heart determine the actions that we take in life and how we live our lives. Right? I mean, it seems like a pretty straightforward um, kind of answer you know, for you. We're in, in election season, so let's talk a little bit about that. The way that somebody thinks about something is going to have a huge impact on who they vote for or which party they support, right? The way that they think about it um, can probably even maybe figure that out without even necessarily knowing, you know, certain things that that a candidate says. You could just maybe tell by the party, like, I feel this way, so I'm going to 
Here's everything in this direction. Take, for example, somebody that, um, you know, somebody that might be a little selfish, a little narcissistic, thinking in their life that they're just, you know, just the best and that they're awesome and uh, almost like the world owes them something. How's that going to translate into how they behave? They're probably going to be angry a lot. They're probably going to be impatient a lot. They're probably going to have lots of conflict with people because of the way that they view themselves and then in turn view life because it's in their mind. It's determining their actions. And so with this said, the spiritual application of this principle in our lives um, is important because, uh, you know, uh, the principle in itself is easy enough to, to, I think, comprehend for us. What you think of in your mind about yourself, about life, about the world, determines how you act. Uh, spiritually, what we're saying is this, that we think about uh, life and the world and the people in the world and uh, all this stuff. It reflects, I would say, what we truly believe about God. It could be one thing to profess that we know God, but the way that we think and then ultimately the way that we live and our actions determine if we really believe what we say or not. Um, and so when it comes to, to God, again, you know, we accept Jesus as our Savior. We're inviting him into our life. Um, like I said, there's all this, this stuff about heart and mind. Um, but I think really, you know, we use the phrase inviting Jesus into our heart, but I really think we're inviting him into our mind as well when we accept him. Uh, and I like what Romans 12 says. Uh, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so Paul says it in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? This is a part of salvation. It's a part of having the helmet of salvation. It's having our minds renewed and transformed. And I think that has huge implications for the way that we live, right? Do we really believe in God? Do we really believe in Jesus and his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection? Do we really believe that the Spirit of God lives inside of us? Do we really believe that God loves everybody? Do we really believe that God wants, as, as one of my favorite verses in, per, I think it's First Peter, says that uh, God desires that everybody would come to know him? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we've been empowered by the Spirit to do ministry? Do you really believe that when Jesus talks about how um, everybody worries about everything going on in their life. And he points to the birds and he says, the birds don't worry about anything. The flowers don't worry about anything because God takes care of them. Do we really believe that God loves us and cares for us enough to take care of us like that? Because if you really believe it in your mind, I think it will show in your actions and in the way that you view life and the way that you live your life. But if you don't really believe that, then you're going to go through life worrying about everything or you're going to go through life not being effective for the kingdom or you're going to go through life um, you know, continually dealing with sin or go through life miserable because you feel like God doesn't love you or God's rejected you or you've missed God's plan or whatever. And so I think what we believe about God affects how we act and that's a part of our mind and that's a part of our our spiritual life, you know? And so when we have the helmet of salvation on, when we've experienced God's salvation, when we're assured of it, when we're having that relationship and that communication with God, all of a sudden we begin to view life a little bit differently. And we view life with an eternal perspective and we view our actions with um, 
eternal implications, and we view the people in the world differently, our coworkers that we butt heads with. All of a sudden, we begin to view those people a little bit differently because we view them as, as somebody that God loves and somebody that God wants to impact, and maybe he wants to use us to do it or family, or whoever, insert whoever you want. <laughs> We've probably all got people that at some point we, we butt heads with. Um, so again, the idea is that we, we, what we think about life and God will ultimately determine how we act. And having this helmet of salvation on, um, you know, living life through the lens of salvation, that we're saved, and living it with the eternal perspective of who God is. Um, Cool. Let's have a word of prayer and close tonight. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your spirit that lives in us, God, and we're thankful for salvation. Lord, we know that we, we didn't deserve the gift of salvation, and there wasn't anything that we could have done to deserve it. Um, God, we know that it was just because you loved us and, and you wanted us to uh, to have a restored relationship with you. And so we're just thankful, God, that you made the way. And uh, we give you praise and, and glory as our Savior and our Messiah. God, I ask that uh, tonight that as we leave from here and we go back to families and we go to work tomorrow and we do all the other things that we do, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be intentional about having the armor of God on and specifically the the helmet of salvation. God, I pray that you'd help us to be... Uh, in the word, that you'd help us to be in prayer, that you'd help us to be communicating with you, allowing you to speak to our hearts and our lives, and, and God, allowing the power of the Spirit to change us, uh, Lord, to mold us, uh, just like a, a, a piece of clay, God, you're molding our hearts, you're molding our lives, you're making us new creatures. God, I pray that you'd help us to live in that every day, um, that it wasn't, wouldn't be just a, a one-time prayer, that it wouldn't be a once-a-week thing on Sunday, God, but that you'd help us every day to uh, live for you, to live in connection and relationship with you. And God, as we learn more about doing that in, in our individual lives and what that looks like, God, I pray that you would just do uh, great and amazing things in us, Lord, that you'd use us for great things, that you would um, be glorified in our hearts and in our actions, and uh, God, that we would just be um, always more open to the things that you're doing and uh, the way that you're moving. God, we love you and we thank you, and uh, we ask all this in your name tonight. Amen.